Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> if you have your Bible, open it up or your Bible app. And let's get to work. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let me just stop for just a second. Is, it, is there any other Indiana Jones fans in the church today? Da, 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 da. This is what I picture when I'm reading Jesus as he's performing these miracles, the temple of doom. Indiana Jones and, and they fly out of the helicopter, or the, the plane that's crashing and they get on the inflatable boat, him and Willie in short run and, and they land in the water. Remember? Or they go down the mountainside into the water and then they finally find themselves and they find themselves in this Indian village of people. And when, when Indiana Jones comes back from saving all the people, he's going and the people are flocking him. This is an imagery of what's happening with Jesus. His fame is spreading so much that he can't even go out to desolate places very often. He's got to go in the middle of the night in order to pray. I mean, I mean, he is becoming such a figure in this day after all of the things. Now, he probably didn't tip his cap and, and carry a satchel like Indiana did, but this is essentially what's happening. His fame is overwhelming, and he is being flooded with people and with people who are sick and people who are in need. And we go on to read, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Here we go. This is his only time alone. He departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
And to end this chapter, we read about a leper. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So, a lot of reading, but you're getting to see the story of Jesus at a very rapid pace here. As he begins to perform miracles, people continue to flock. And as he's performing miracles, they continue to flock. And he does one thing after another. But I want to go all the way back to the beginning of our reading. And I want to look at what Jesus began to preach. Because when Jesus went to the wilderness, as we ended last week, and he went to accomplish what man was unable to accomplish thousands of years ago, to to not give in to the temptations of Satan, Jesus goes and he accomplishes what you and I failed to do, and what Adam and Eve failed many, many years ago to do. Well, then when he comes back, he begins to preach, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. So let me just ask you, what is the gospel? What is, what is the gospel? Because we have to understand we cannot be right with God and be wrong with the gospel. We cannot. We must understand the fullness of the gospel. Now, I believe that whenever you come to faith in Christ, as you grow in sanctification, as you spiritually mature, your appreciation for the gospel grows. Does it not? For those of you who are older and you've lived a while and you've seen life and you've been there and done that, do you not grow with appreciation? See, when you're early on in your faith, you're like, yeah, God saved me, but we may still casually live in sinfulness. We may comfortably live with that, but we know it's wrong, though. We'll get it straightened out. But those of us who have lived a while and we've seen people pass, we've seen illness, we've seen the... All of these things, we've seen the blessings of God. Our appreciation for the gospel grows. But we must know what the gospel is. We cannot have a poor understanding of the gospel and claim to know who God is. It doesn't match. The gospel is what Jesus goes on to proclaim. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of God. That through Jesus, he would be providing a saving grace. Now, this is where we really, this is not where I'm going to attack you, but this is where I'm going to put you and I on the same playing field with every other sinner that's ever walked the earth. We have to understand the gospel is this, that the good news of God, that he would send his son to save us. To save us from what? Our sin. Your sin. My sin. To save us from our sin and the eternal punishment that we are actually deserving of. But he would offer himself on a cross to pay the wages we owe for our sin. And then to offer himself in our place when it comes to enduring the fullness of God's So here we come to understand the gospel. We understand that Jesus came to save us from our sin. So I don't care how good you are. I don't care how perfect you are to your, to your parents. <laughs> I don't care how beautiful that other person is that you get to go home with and you get to drive in the car with. I, I don't care. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, including me. Believe it or not, I have sinned. 
you have sinned. My wife has sinned. Boy, has she. Um, I'm just kidding. My daughters will sin. They are perfect to me. But they too must surrender themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved from their sin. How precious you are. All of us are all grounded at the same playing field when we come to understand the gospel is this. The gospel is our saving grace because each and every one of us, regardless of how good you are, how rich you are, how healthy healthy you are, how strong you are, how uh, generous you are, how sacrificial you are, all of us are in desperate need of saving grace. And Jesus comes and preaching the gospel, he says that the time is at hand, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. You need to believe, and this is what, if we have to be, you know, if we have to look at the culture we live in, this is where living as a genuine, true follower of Jesus truly becomes countercultural because the, the culture we live in thinks that you and I are all really good people. And, and if we aren't careful, we will fail to realize that I am in desperate need of God's saving grace. So for you to understand what is the gospel... It begins by you understanding that you, wherever you are, whatever you've done, all that you've seen in life, were in desperate need of God's saving grace. When we come to understand that, we also understand that if we reject the gospel, if we do not believe in the gospel, and we reject this offer of salvation, that you and I will be the ones to pay the wages of our sin. And these wages are paid and the fullness of God's wrath being poured upon us forever and ever. And we respond to God's offer through repentance. Repentance is carried out in the way in which you and I turn from our own sinfulness, our own worldliness, the desires of our flesh, the lusts of the world, and we spend the rest of our lives committed to holiness, godliness, and to following the Lord Jesus. So you and I have to build our lives upon the gospel that you were in desperate need of a Savior, and Jesus came offering Himself fully for you. And if you reject that, if you think that you're actually better than what you are, if we think that we, we are actually needing of saving because I'm not that bad of a person, then we will, we will actually fool ourselves into believing we can save ourselves, and then what happens is you spend eternity separated from Him. So we have to understand the gospel. Now, let me just give you a couple of examples how believing the gospel truly... And living a life following the Lord does mean that you and I will look different than our neighbor that rejects it. So if you are here today and you are a Christian, your life should look different than those who are not Christians. Should, in all ways. If you and I do not stand out amongst the world, then you and I are living wrong. Then we are probably not repenting of our sin and living in holiness and seeking godliness. So let me give you two examples how if we truly build our lives upon the gospel, if we come to truly know what the gospel is and grow in our appreciation for the gospel, knowing that because Jesus came for me to save me and to redeem me and to offer himself for me, therefore my life will be built and look different. We must be different. And here's the other thing. I want to add this. If you are looking for anything else to satisfy you other than the gospel of Jesus then we are wrong. The fact that God would put on bone and flesh, humble himself to endure a cross, would 
would be chastised and rejected by men, would be pierced for your transgressions and crushed for my iniquities and not even open his mouth, but have all the fullness of authority and power to strike everyone dead sitting at the cross and for you and I to have the authority and the power within his own realm to strike us down. But he's, his, he is faithful to his word in which he says that he is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins, and he is not one that is quick to anger, but he desires all to come to repentance. So when we come to understand that God truly is a gracious, merciful, loving Father, and that he would put on bone and flesh to come and to die in my place so that I could be made new, I could be redeemed, I could be born again, there is nothing else that I should build my life upon. And when I come to truly understand that and grow in appreciation and spiritually mature over time, you and I will find that there is nothing else we actually need nothing water yes for physical survival food yes fellowship community yes but you and i actually need nothing else so let's look at two ways that you and i are to live as christians believing in the gospel living in repentance first is this and i'm going to get through them quickly so i can move on culture that you and i live in tells us to live lives doing whatever makes us happy Just do what makes you happy. If it's sinful, just do what makes you happy. But if we were to truly believe in the gospel and to receive this offer of God's grace by repentance, then you and I would actually live in a way that makes us holy. We would seek holiness. We would set our minds on things that are pure, things that are holy. We would truly practice righteousness because what happens is living to make ourselves happy all the time may actually lead us into sinfulness and you and i are are called to separate ourselves from sinfulness at all costs and at all times and taking up our cross daily means that we must and we may have to deny ourselves from things that make us happy so we don't distance ourselves from god so when i take up my cross daily i deny myself from things that could make me happy they could Sinful things can make you happy for a moment. They can make you feel better. They can make you feel good. (laughs) But if you and I aren't careful, if we do not deny ourselves from things that make us happy, we will not find ourselves, we will find ourselves distancing ourselves from God. So you and I are to live seeking what makes us holy, not what makes us happy. Secondly, and lastly, Culture says to follow your heart. Just follow your heart. But Christians must be careful not to always follow our hearts because the Bible teaches us that the heart of man is what? Deceitful and wicked. And the desires of our heart can lead to sinfulness. Therefore, you and I are not to follow our hearts. We are not to follow what we desire. We are not to follow what may make us feel good or may make us happy. We are to follow God's word and his commands. At all times. So I'm not telling you that when you leave here, you can never do anything that makes you happy. But if it is sinful, then you need to repent of it and leave it behind. I'm not telling you you can never do anything that, you know, is good or makes you feel good or is good in your heart and you have this dream or this desire. I'm not telling you you can't do that. But I am telling you that if you live your life pursuing happiness, a temporal happiness, and things that your heart desires, then what you may find is that you are deceiving yourself and living in wickedness, separating yourself from God. Therefore, truly live in all ways to pursue holiness and to obey God's word. Now, lastly, as you go through this chapter, 
you see people offered by Christ himself in the way he heals, casts out demons. Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and Jesus saw that the dishes need to be done, so he said, hey, you need to get up and do something. Um, so he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And Peter's mother-in-law went and did the dishes like a good, good mother-in-law does, right? <laughs> uh, she's downstairs. <laughs> Um, just don't tell her I said that. No, but Jesus goes and he offers himself. So, so here we see Jesus preaching the gospel. We have to come to understand the gospel to truly build our lives upon the solid rock, upon his word, his commands. And then we go and we read throughout the rest of this chapter, all throughout the rest of this gospel account, written account by Mark, of many miracles that Jesus performed and he offering himself to people who were kind of like, you and me. People that were broken. People that were sinful. People that were ill. People that were marginalized. And Jesus goes on performing these miracles. And what we can see is that you and I are a lot more comparable to them. And whenever we look at Jesus extending his mercy and his grace, his healing hand, his authority to these people, we truly begin to see the heart of the gospel lived out. At the heart of the gospel, we find just how good God is and just how much we need Him. That is at the heart of the gospel, that He is truly good and you and I are truly bad and we need Him. So Jesus goes and He's extending Himself to these people and He's healing these people and He's casting out these demons and He's raising those who are ill and He's healing a leper who was an outcast. So we're looking at all of these offerings of Christ to all of these people that you and I would probably relate to at one time or another. The oppressed, the marginalized, the outcast, and the spiritually or the physically sick. And what does Jesus do? He redeems. He makes whole he saves, he heals these people. Now, I can't help but to read this chapter and be drawn to the leper. And I know I've preached on this man before, but every time I read this, I can't help but to think of my own life. Let me just read to you again the account of the leper, and then we'll all find ourselves in one way or another. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will. I mean, can you just see this? Maybe you've seen the, maybe the movies where Jesus does these things, and you get a little bit of understanding. Maybe you've seen the, uh, the Chosen series, and you see kind of the, more of the personal interactions compared to just reading it on a page. But can you just picture Christ doing all of these signs, and this man who was an outcast, rejected by the society, coming and imploring him and kneeling before him and saying and crying out, if you will, you can make me clean. So Jesus moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Immediately. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away and said to him, see that you say nothing but go. Can't you just see this man? His entire life has changed. He's been made whole. He's been made clean. Why wouldn't he start talking about it? I mean, when you are blessed by God, when you are healed by God, when your marriage is restored by God, do we not go and talk about it? 
I mean, if God blesses us beyond our measure and gives us hope and gives us life, do we not go and proclaim the goodness? But whenever I read this story of this man who comes imploring Jesus, kneeling before him, pleading with him, if you will, you can make me clean, I can't help but to think of my own life. Not that I'm imploring Jesus to heal me of a physical condition, but we see Jesus using the physical world to demonstrate his authority over the spiritual world. That he can make anyone clean. Wherever you are today, whoever you are, whatever you've done, however you choose to live, he can make you clean. Regardless how dirty your past looks and how pitiful you live right here and right now, he can make you clean. Now, this is where I'll share a little confession um, and, and where I find myself relating to this leper. So I will be the first to admit, and I always am kind of humbled. And now I will say that there are days where it's a lot different. But I am humbled that God gave me my wife. Humbled. I mean... I mean, oh, but but you don't know you don't know just how good this woman is and how pitiful I am. Like, she, and I'm not just saying that because she's up here and to make her feel good. And she turned 29 yesterday, and she'll say that for the next 33 years. And, and I'm just trying to not make her feel as old or as wrinkled as she's getting. But but no no no, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no no no, I I am humbled because God gave me that one. That one, humbled. Like, if God knew just how clean or unclean I was, but he does. And, and, and God gave me that one. And, and we've been married going on 11 years now. She dated me when, when I was this young punk teenage kid with curly hair and flat bill hats and, and acne all over his face. And, and she said yes to that. And, and, and then I think that God has blessed me with that one. And I have to admit that there's so many days where I feel undeserving of that one. I mean, there's so many days where I look at myself, I'm like, how in the world? It definitely wasn't my looks. It definitely wasn't my money. Like, how in the world did I get that one? And then there's so many Sundays that I get to come up here and I get to open God's word and I get to preach to you all. And and I get to instruct you how to live clean, holy, righteous lives. And then I look at myself and I'm like, man, I am a horrible man with a wretched past that is truly unfit for this. I mean, there's so many days and there's so many days where I look at it and then I get just humbled and I get to stand before you and I get to worship alongside of you. And there's so many daily Time, there's so many times daily that I am humbled and reminded I am completely undeserving of all of this. And then my wife and I have, have now, we have four girls and we are in the process of training up four women that will stand firm on the word of God one day, that will be godly wives and that will impact generations, crushing the head of Satan forever and ever. And we get the opportunity to be a part of this. And, and I'm just humbled and I'm just reminded I am completely undeserving of all of this because I am spiritually unclean. I am imperfect. I am a flawed man. But here's what I've found to be true. And I say all this to remind you of this. Because I am inadequate. I am unworthy. I am undeserving. I'm spiritually ill. But what I have come to find to be true is this. That when I have called upon Him. 
When I call upon Him, God, just give me the strength to be the husband. Give me the guidance and the love and the mercy and the grace to be a father. Give me the wisdom and give me the spiritual leadership to shepherd your flock. What I have found is every time I have cried and called, He's answered. Every time. Just as this leper comes and he's imploring him, if you will, you can make me clean. Just as I call out to him on a daily basis, Lord, I need your help because I'm not the most perfect or patient or righteous man, but I need you. If you will, give me the strength to be a husband, to be the father, to be the pastor, to be the friend, to be the counselor, whatever it is that I find myself in, I am completely undeserving and implore him daily Dear Lord, just if you will. And here's what I've come to find out. He does. And I tell you to to ask you to see where you are right here and right now. Because if, as Jeff said, we think of all the blessings that God has given us, you are undeserving of all of them. You are unfit for all of them. And if it was about your spiritual cleanliness you and I would have absolutely nothing. Because until Jesus cleansed us as his people, you and I were spiritually sick, spiritually unclean, and spiritually dead. My plead with you today is this. If you are living in any way that is making you unclean, I give you two things. First and foremost, to repent of your sin. And what you will find is that as you call out to him to make you clean and to forgive you and to save you and to redeem you, you will find that he will. You will find that he will. Or maybe you're living life and you're just kind of going through the motions and taking very little appreciation for the blessings that he has given to you. And maybe you don't know how to show that appreciation. You don't know how to steward all of these things. Here is what I will give you that if you seek him and implore him to touch your home to touch your children to touch your family what you will find is that he does that you and i build our lives on the gospel that our lives are built upon the solid rock which at the heart of the gospel is how good he is and just how much we need him And not just how much we need Him so that we can be saved and then just live however we choose, but how much we truly need Him on a daily basis to be the husbands and the wives, the fathers and the mothers, the co-workers, the sons, the daughters, the body that He has called us to be. So here's my plead with all of us, is that we would truly find ourselves at His feet, imploring Him to cleanse us, to strengthen us, and we would find ourselves, this is where it gets countercultural. This is where truly living for Christ means we humble ourselves because if we are not careful, we may reject the, the beauty of the gospel and we may think that in and of ourselves we are capable and we are strong enough and we are good enough, we are smart enough. But let me tell you this, if you are here and you are a husband or a wife and you have a spouse that is here, you alone are not capable of loving them in your own strength. You need to implore the Lord. 
If you're here and you're a parent or a grandparent or a garden guardian, aunt and uncle, investing time in the next generation, if you believe that you can do it on your own, then I'm sad, I'm sad to tell you that you are mistaken. You will fool yourself and you will come short. And if, I'm, if you're here today and you are spiritually or physically ill and you think that, well, I'll just fix it on my own, let me just tell you that God is able to heal you physically just as he is spiritually. But you and I must, in all areas of our lives, find ourselves humbling and calling out to Him. And I promise you this, that when we call out to Him, when we cast all of our anxieties onto Him, we will find that He will hear us. And the beautiful part about Jesus offering Himself, as we read, and the people that Jesus impacted, and if we were to to really be honest with who we are, we can relate a lot to these people that felt hopeless, helpless, outcast, just like you may. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus offered himself fully to them, just as he offers himself fully to people like you and me. That he would go on town after town, healing, redeeming, restoring, and making whole. People that were broken, people that were sinful, people that were ill, So my plead for you is that you would truly implore the Lord today to give you what it is that you need, to cleanse you spiritually, to strengthen you maritally, to guide you relationally. Because as we said earlier, everything that I need, he's got. So today, may we all seek him and implore him and cry out to him. And we will find that he does answer our call. Let us pray.